اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء والمرسلين محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه واله وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد my brothers and sisters i want to share some thoughts with you with respect to the concept of justice in islam and also help us understand the principles of sharia as they are applied because today the sharia is one of the most misunderstood things in the world and uh, people seem to think it is their birthright to say anything at all they want about the sharia and about what they like to call the draconian laws and by which of course they mean the uh, the criminal laws uh, criminal justice system of islam and they call that draconian and unjust and so on and so forth so we'll try to quickly i mean as briefly as possible understand the basic fundamental principles of justice and we see how these were applied by rasulullah sallallahu himself as well as by the people who understood them uh, the khulafa rashidin and so on to begin with the ayat of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in surah an-nisa where allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim يا ايها الذين امنوا كونوا قوامين بالقسط شهداء لله ولو على انفسكم ابي الوالدين والاقربين ان يكن غنيا او فقيرا فالله اولى بهما فلا تتبعوا الهوى ان تعدلوا وان تلو او تغردوا فان الله كان بما تعملون خبيرا الله سبحانه وتعالى said which means oh you who believe stand out firmly for justice stand out firmly for justice as witnesses to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even though it may be against yourselves what is the meaning of standing as a witness against yourself it means that you accept that you have done something wrong no matter how bad it might look you accept and you own up that i made this mistake and then turn towards allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make tawbah if the mistake involved somebody else seek a, seek an apology if you took away something from somebody give it back to them and so forth and then allah said stand out firmly for justice as witnesses to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even though it may be against yourselves or your parents or your relatives or your kin be they rich or poor usually the reasons why we protect people is because of our closeness to them so if my father does something wrong my mother does something wrong i look at it in a different way if a stranger does the same thing i become very tough about that right if my children do something i say oh no but you see these are my children but the same thing some other person does everybody somebody's child so if somebody else does that person immediately you become very tough but your son or daughter does something you want to be lenient about that right this is the our usual behavior uh, similarly the person committing a crime or commit or making uh, some kind of misdemeanor if that person is rich and wealthy and influential and from a so called big family and so on we treat them differently and if it is a poor person we treat them differently this is the standard in the, in, in the world unfortunately allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying islam is against all of these things the law is one justice means the same whether the person involved is your father your mother your wife your husband your son your daughter your relative whether the person is rich or poor whether the person is influential or uninfluential makes no difference as far as the application of justice is concerned justice means that the law will be applied equally to everybody if that is not happening it is not justice now this is what islam is saying and then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says allah is a better protector to both than yourselves because what why we do why do we do all this because you don't want to look bad before people who uh, you know who know you and so on and so forth allah is saying don't worry about that allah is your protector you say what you need to say you do what you need to do if people if you become unpopular for that reason that's not a problem forget about that because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a better protector for you don't look for popularity don't look for if i speak the truth here then i might lose my job if i if i implement justice here then i might be uh, i might be targeted or i might be 
یو نو وکٹمائز نو اللہ سبحان تعالیٰ سے بی ٹرو ٹو اللہ بیکاز اللہ از یو پروٹیکٹر اینڈ دین اللہ سبحان تعالیٰ سے ڈو ناٹ فالو دا لسٹ آف یور ہارٹ لیسٹ یو اوائڈ جسٹس وچ مینس دا سیم تھنگ وچ آئی بی سینگ وچ از دیٹ ڈونٹ فالو واٹ ایور یو فیل لائک ڈوئنگ آئی ڈونٹ فالو دا لسٹ آف یور ہارٹ ڈونٹ فالو واٹ یو لائک اینڈ ڈس لائک بیکاز دیٹ وے یو ول گو اگینسٹ جسٹس سو ڈونٹ ڈو دیٹ even if it is something which you don't like to do say it and do it because that is the correct thing to do and if you distort your witness and let's say now the other side in spite of all this if you distort your witness if you lie if you cheat if you say something different because somebody else is involved if you if you uh, distort your witness or you refuse to give witness that also happens sometimes you know, the, the person involved is someone close to you or whatever and the people say no now you know please give this thing you say no 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 i don't want to say anything why why don't you want to say anything because my so and so is involved all of this is haram in islam so allah is saying and if you avoid if if you distort your witness or you refuse to give it verily allah subhanahu wa taala is well acquainted with what you do now i remind myself and you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created this deen as a means of khair, as a means of barakah, as a means of blessing for all of his creation. Not only for human beings, not only for Muslims, but for everything on the face of the earth. That is the reason why we have the, uh, the hadith where Rasulullah said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed jannah for a man who... gave water to a thirsty dog right i mean because the dog was not able to get the water was inside a well the man pulled out the water from the well and gave it to the dog allah gave him jannah nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said there was a woman who confined her cat inside the house and the cat couldn't uh, she didn't feed the cat and the cat could not find food for itself because it was confined inside the house and the cat died and for this allah will decree jahannam for that woman because she did this to this cat neglecting of this pet so not only is it is islam for uh, muslims it is for and not only is it for human beings it is also for everything on the face of the planet now see how the people who understood this how they behaved sayyidina umar bin al-khattab radhiyallahu anhu the purpose of these stories from the sira and from the sunnah and from the quran is for us to learn lessons and to implement them in our lives sayyidina umar radhiyallahu anhu once was walking down the street in Madina and he found a man who was begging. So he asked him who he was. He discovered he was a Jewish man. He was an elderly Jewish man. So Sayyidina Amar said, why are you begging? He said, because I have nobody. I have no relatives and no one. I am alone here in Madina. I am now too old to work. So I can't get any work. So I have to eat. So Sayyidina Amar said, how unjust it is that when you were healthy and you were young, you worked. and you pay tax to the state and now when you are old and weak there is no one to look after you so he called his officials and he said this man will be taken care of by the state this is the pension that he will be given every month be, he will be given a house and he will be taken care of for the rest of his life who is that man is not a muslim is a jewish man says now what did not say we will do all this provided you accept islam no Accepting Islam does not come into the picture. You are a citizen of the Muslim state and therefore the state is responsible for your welfare. Whether you are Muslim or not doesn't make any difference. Same law applies. Sayyidina Amar Abdul Khattab Radhiallahu a man came to him from Egypt and he complained to him and he said my complaint is that the son of the governor of Egypt who was the governor of Egypt Amar Ibn Al-As Radhiallahu Sahabi of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi commander of the army of Egypt one of the conquerors of Egypt because uh, Ubaidullah bin uh, Ubaidullah bin Jarrah radhiyallahu anhu uh, Abu Ubaidah Abu Ubaidah Abu Ubaidah bin Jarrah radhiyallahu anhu uh, and Amr ibn Amr ibn Ras was the conqueror of Egypt so Amr ibn Ras was the governor of Egypt now this man came and complained and he said that the son of Amr ibn Ras he beat me and when i went to his father for justice i did not get i didn't get justice <coughs> so said an amar radhiyallahu summoned he called the uh, governor of 
Egypt. He called Amrullah Sadalanu and his son to Medina. Now, when I'm saying call, he didn't call him on, the, on his mobile and say, you know, how, how are you doing? Right? No. Call means physically from Medina to Kahira to, to Egypt. Look at the distances, right? You're looking at, so at, at what is today Saudi Arabia and you're looking at Africa. Egypt is in Africa. So, messenger goes, Amar ibn al-Az comes with his son. In the court of Umar ibn al-Khattab, this man is there. Sayyidina Umar said, here is this man, here is the man who beat you, now you take your revenge. In front of me, this is my durra. He gave him his, his whip, he said beat him. In the open court, in front of his father. He said beat him until you are satisfied with the punishment. How many, how many times? Until you are satisfied. So this man, of course, he was happy to do that. He whacked the daylights out of his son. Then Sayyidina Umar says, Now remove the turban of his father and, sl- and, sl- and, and, and beat him on his head for bringing up a son like this who abuses and who oppresses people. This is the governor of Egypt, Sahabi of Rasulullah. Now that man who came from Egypt, he said, no, I have got my satisfaction because the son is the one who did this to me. I have done that. I am satisfied. But the point I am making is, here is the Khalifa of the Muslims giving an instruction. Why is he doing that? Is Amar ibn Dalas his enemy? No. Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Laz, Khalid bin Walid, all of these people, they were all contemporaries, they were all the closest of friends. If, Amar, if Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab did not like Amar ibn al-As and if he wanted to do something, he would not have given him the governorship of, of Egypt in the first place. This is the implementation of justice. It doesn't matter whether you are my friend or you are my brother, or if you do something wrong, you have to be punished, you will be punished and you better believe it. <clears throat> Don't think that being close to me is going to help you. It will not help you. Same Umar Abdul Khattab. He had a son called Abu Shahma who was also in Egypt and he, was, he fought in the army uh, which conquered Egypt. One day he was with some friends of his and he drank alcohol and he got completely drunk and he passed out. So, he, when he came to his senses the next morning, he was very repentant, he was very, uh, you know, sad about this thing. And he went to Amar ibn al-As to the governor and he said, I have committed this sin and I want to be punished, so please punish me. Which is lashes, right? To be whipped. Amar the last told him, look, I mean, you know, this happened, it happened, it happened in your home and, you know, nobody has seen it and forget it, about, forget about it, make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make tawbah, uh, there is no punishment that is due. He said, no. After all, he is the son of, of Amar al-Khattab. So, he has got the sense of justice. He said, no, I don't want this thing, I don't want to face Allah with this, I made a mistake, I know I made a mistake, but at the same time, I this, this mistake is not simply a mistake, it has to be punished, so therefore, punish me. So, Amar ibn al-Asr then decreed so many lashes and he, out of consideration for the man, he said this punishment will be carried out in the house of the governor. Amar ibn al-Asr's house. When, so, this was carried out. He was whipped. Imagine, you know, you have to understand the meaning of these things. Whipped does not mean you take a stick and, you know, go tuck, tuck, tuck. No. Being lashed by a, a leather whip is, it, it completely lacerates your back, right? So anyway, that punishment was carried out in the house of the governor. Sayyidina Amar Adelanu heard about this. He sent a letter, letter to Amar ibn al-As Adelanu and he said, you have been derelict in your duty. I have no, I have come to be informed. I have been informed that my son committed this sin. And instead of having him flogged publicly, you had him flogged in your house in, because he was my son. He said, now I order you to send Abu Shahma to Medina on a naked camel. And the punishment will be carried out in Medina. So Abu Shahma was taken from Egypt and he was sent to Medina. 
Now, on the way, he fell ill. He was very sick when he got to Medina. He could barely walk. Abdurrahman ibn Awf said to Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab, look, the punishment has already been carried out. There is no need to punish him again. Also, the man is sick. He, is, he can hardly stand. Sayyidina Umar said, the punishment has not been carried out. It is my uh, jurisdiction. I have to. I, I am the one who decides this. Punishment should have been done in public. It was not done in public. It is the humiliation and the whipping. Humiliation he did not, did not have because it was not happening in public. It has to be done in public. He said he will be flogged here in Medina in public. So he had his son flogged in Medina in public and Abu Shahma died as a result of that flogging. So Sayyidina Awar had decreed a certain number of lashes. So they said to him, only so many lashes have been uh, applied and he died. Now what? He said, bathe him, pray the janaza, put him in the grave and lash the rest of the lashes on the grave. Huh? Now is this brutality? Is this just cruelty? Or is this Islam's sense of justice where Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab is setting a rule to say that justice means it will be applied to everybody concerned no matter who you are. <clears throat> now the point is, if you read Islamic history, you can see very clearly that these conditions, these principles slipped. Later on, these principles slipped. Whatever the reason, there were reasons why they slipped. <clears throat> there are reasons that the, the historians and people, they say, this is the reason so-and-so did this, this is the reason. But the fact of the matter is that those things slipped. And we know, as they say, the rest is history. We know what happened. Umar ibn uh, Umar, uh, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu and his uh, son and, and his uh, brother Asim ibn Umar ibn al-Khattab. <coughs> These two were in, uh, they were in Baghdad. The governor of uh, Iraq was uh, Abu Musa al-Ashari anhu, who was an alim among the Sahaba. Uh, he was a beautiful reciter of the Quran. He was one of the favorite Sahaba of Rasulullah sallallahu He is among, counted among the Akabirin of the Sahaba. He was from Yemen. So he was the governor in, in, uh, of Iraq. So these two sons of Umar ibn al-Khattab, uh, they were in Baghdad and they were leaving to go back to Medina. So Abu Musa al-Ashari said to them, there is some money that I have to send to your father, which is state cash, which he had to send him. Uh, can you take this following? So you are people I know, you are people of integrity, I know the money will reach safely, so can you take this following? So they said, yes, we can take it for you. Then Asim who he asked uh, a question and he said, is it permissible? Now he's asking a masala of fiqh, right? He's asking to the alim. He's asking the mufti for a fatwa. So he says, uh, is it permissible for us? You have given this, given this money to us. Is it permissible for us to use this money as trade capital and buy goods? And we sell them in Medina. And the amount of money you gave us, we will give it to the Khalifa, Umar ibn al-Khattab. And if there is a profit, then the profit belongs to us. And if there is a loss, then we will make it up so that you, the money that you have sent is not compromised. So, supposing you have sent a 100,000 dinar, the 100,000 dinar will reach Umar ibn al-Khattab. If in the process of this trade... I make 10,000 dinar on this thing, it's 110,000 dinar, then the 10,000 dinar I will keep, 100,000 will go to him because that is how much you sent him. If in, on the other hand, the trade is, uh, there is a loss and I only make 90,000 dinar, then I will put in 10,000 dinar of my own and I will give it to Umar al-Khattab So the amount of money that you have sent, there will be no uh, change in that. That money will reach uh, the Khalifat al-Muslimin, Amir al-Mu'minin safely. Is this permissible? So Abu Musa al-Ashari gave a ruling to say, yes, it is permissible. So they said, very good. So they took the money, they bought some goods, they took it to Medina, they sold it, they made a profit. They gave the original amount to 
Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab Obviously, nothing is a secret and nothing is a secret from Umar radiallahu So, Sayyidina Umar heard about this whole story. So, he called them. He said, what is this? They said, this is, the, this is, the, this is what happened. This is, we asked a ruling, we got a ruling and we did this. Sayyidina Umar said, no. I overrule the ruling, deposit the profit also in the Vajralwan. So, now both of these sons, they felt very bad about this thing. Asim Radhyalanu said to his elder brother Abdullah ibn Omar, he said, you ask our father, why is he doing this? Abdullah ibn Omar said, I will not ask him anything. You want to ask, you ask. So, Asim Radhyalanu went to him, he said, Ya Mubinin, why are you doing this? Because we have not done anything wrong. We took a ruling before this thing. Says Rabbi Radhyalanu said, the ruling is right, but my overruling, the ruling is also right. Because I don't want people to think. He said, whatever ruling you took, you took. The people are not witness to that ruling. I don't want people to say that the sons of Umar ibn al-Khattab are making profit using state money, state state funds. So not only should justice be done, but justice should appear to be done, should be visibly done. Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu he was a businessman. He was a farmer. He had a whole herd of camels. So he was selling his camels in the market. Some of the camels he was selling. Sayyidina Umar Adelanu came into the market. He asked him, these are your camels? He said, yes, my camels. He said, where, was, where did they graze? He said, in the public grazing place. Sayyidina Umar Adelanu said, those camels I confiscate. They belong to the state. Abdullah ibn Umar said, this is injustice. He said, yeah, this is, uh, you know, zulum on me. These are my camels. I mean, how can you just take them like this? What is my mistake? They grazed in the public uh, grazing place. Like everybody else's camels. All the camels in this market, they all grazed in the same place. You are not confiscating somebody else's camels. You are taking my camels. Why? Sayyidina Umar says, your camels grazed in the public place. You are entitled to do that. However, the fact is that you are my son. So therefore, other people may have given you the best grazing. They may have, you know, had more consideration for your animals than for for their own animals. And therefore, these camels, they belong to the state. This is the meaning of the Islamic Sharia. It means that the ruler puts himself on the spot before anybody else. Ruler does not get consideration. The ruler is in an even more difficult spot than anybody else. This is the meaning of stand as witness to yourselves. Stand as witnesses to Allah, even if it is against yourself. And as I told you, history is witness. These things were tough on the family of Omar ibn al-Khattab, no doubt about this. But because of that, the state, the state stood strong. And when these principles slipped, the state fell with them. Which brings me to the whole principle of Sharia. Today, as I told you, Sharia is like a bad word, right? It's like a five-letter bad word. Huh? People say, Sharia laws, oh my God, I mean, in America now, big tamasha going on. Sharia will, should never be imposed. Must, the Congress must stand against the Sharia. Sharia in America will not be imposed in the next 1000 years. Why is anybody bothered about, about the Sharia? But this, this is the kind of bad name that is given. And the principle in the Sharia, the principal problem that people seem to have is what they call the draconian criminal law. Now, let us see what is draconian. Let me ask you a very simple question. <clears throat> I'll give you two scenarios. First scenario, there is a man who commits a crime. Due process of law is applied, the crime is investigated, the crime, there is evidence, the crime is proven, and the man is punished. This is one scenario. In the other scenario, the first part is all correct, which is that the man committed the crime, due process of law is applied, evidence is produced, the man is sentenced, but the sentence applies to the man, to his wife, to his children, to his elderly parents, to his mother, to his father. To his whole family. Now, which is more draconian? Did the mother commit the crime? No. Did, did his wife commit a crime? No. Did the children commit a crime? No. But they all suffer. 
So which is more draconian? Second one, right? Now, in Islam, if a man commits theft, right, the punishment is amputation of the hand. And that doesn't mean that the man steals a roll of toilet paper and his hand is chopped. No. There is a whole set of conditions. There is a whole set of conditions. The amount that he steals has to be over a certain amount. It has to be proven that he is a habitual thief. It has to be proven that he went to additional trouble in order to steal. But there was a famous case in Abu Dhabi, for example, where there was a Pathan, uh, he was a driver or some such thing. He was accused of theft. And they uh, sentenced him to uh, for his hand to be amputated. He appealed. It went to the higher court. The higher court said, fine, get the evidence. They got the evidence. They said, where was this money kept? They said, this money was kept in a desk drawer. They said, was the drawer locked? They said, no, it was not locked. He said, was it open? They said, yes, it was open. So here was the drawer which was open. The money was lying there. And the man took it. So now the court is not saying, oh, fantastic, let us give him, a, give him a, a, an award. No, they are saying now the circumstances, extenuating circumstances are such that you put the man in a position, he is a, he is a, he is a poor man, you put him in a position of temptation and therefore he yields to the temptation, then how do you amputate his hand? He said the, the punishment is struck down, his hand will not be amputated. And you are responsible because you did this. In another very famous case in... Uh, in uh, uh, Indonesia, uh, they, uh, there was a woman who was accused of theft and when this case came to the court and all the evidence was produced, the judge says that not only is this woman not liable for punishment, but the state is liable for punishment because it was the state which put this woman in a spot where she was so poor that she had to steal in order to feed her family. Who is responsible? They said the government is responsible. Therefore, the government was fined. The judge passed the ruling against the government. They said the government must pay this woman compensation. And, she must, and the government is fined that this woman must be paid compensation for because the government is responsible. How is it that you have people in your, in your, in your uh, kingdom or in your state who are so poor that they have to steal in order to feed their family? If that is the kind of government you are running, that you are at fault. The state is at fault. This is Islamic justice. Now, what do we say? We say that if a man steals, then he should be imprisoned. His hand should not be amputated because amputating of the hand is a draconian punishment and the, the, the compassionate punishment is to imprison the man. Now, what actually happens in a prison? The first thing happens in a prison when a prisoner, the first time prisoner goes into the prison is that he is raped by the other prisoners. Standard procedure in all prisons. Right? So, he is psychologically destroyed. Second thing is, until he went to the prison, he did something wrong, obviously he would have been feeling bad about it, he would have been thinking that, oh, I did a bad thing and so on and so on. Now, in prison, who is with him? Uh, people, they are the they great upholders of the principles of society, no. Criminals. So, among criminals, he looks like, he said, well, you know, I, I, I'm the best of them. I mean, here is a guy who is a murderer. Here is a guy who is a rapist. Here is a guy who is something. I mean, I, I only stole something. So now I have aspirational goals. You know, I, I need to become better than this. What actually happens in prisons is criminalization of people. A prison is a crime university. So you take this man who was who committed first time this crime. And instead of punishing him, you put him in the prison. Now you have criminalized him. You have exposed him to all kinds of serious criminals. Any hope of his, you know, sudroing or, or becoming better is gone. Meanwhile, what also has happened? He was the bread earner of the family. Now he's gone. Now what happens? The family has lost somebody who is a wage earner. So what happens to his wife? What happens to his children? Maybe he has elderly parents. What happens to them? What happens to the reputation of this family? The 
the children will be stigmatized the mother will be stigmatized the father is stigmatized the wife is stigmatized the wife wants to go now she is starving she wants to go and work in somebody's house are tere ko nokri dena tera mara chor hai tu kya karti ki you want me to give you a job your husband is a thief i don't know what you will steal no no sorry go so now you have punished that entire family you have ruined their reputation children old young men women the whole fam- for the sin committed by one person so which is more draconian in the sharia the law is applied to the one who deserves that application that is why allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said wal fil khisasi hayatun ya ulil albab allah said in the khisas in the punishments in the hudud there is life o people of intelligence another aspect of the sharia under criminal law in most places if a person commits murder and this is proven without doubt in places where there is capital punishment that person is hanged or he is somehow you know he is killed right whichever electric chair or what whatever else right lethal injection different ways but this this is what happens now supposing this person murdered my father case is proven everything else is assigned the death penalty now i go to the court and say look i want to forgive this man okay he did this thing he killed my father maybe he did it in anger whatever it was you know even if it was a premeditated murder he deliberately did that what not i would like to forgive him in criminal law there is no scope for that people will say oh you are a very nice person you know you are a very forgiving person so on so on maybe they'll put my my picture on the front page of the paper but nothing will change that man will be killed because there is no scope in the law for forgiveness in islamic law what happens same case same case death penalty is awarded but there are two other possibilities one possibility is that the family can say all right we forgive this man provided he pays blood money he killed my father he killed my son he killed whatever it is so let him pay for this and we forgive him so now the now the man saved his life right so there is a chance for him to reform himself the family at least got something for this some compensation it the man your somebody died the other man died what did you get nothing whereas here at least you get some money and so on for it i mean maybe i'm not saying that the money can compensate for somebody's life but it is something to see third possibility in islamic law is no death penalty no blood money simply forgiveness for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the family can say we forgive this person for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they say well you know i am willing to pay blood money so i am not interested in blood money also just go home khalas this is legally possible in islamic law this is permissible there is no other law in the world where mercy and forgiveness is legally permissible fourth benefit you might say well okay uh, in our, in my country we have no death penalty but there is still murder committed for example this guy in uh, new zealand who killed all those people uh, they say that now he will be given a punishment of uh, you know i don't know how many uh, 70 years in jail or 90 years in jail or some such thing meaning that he will die in jail all right now you might say well you see we are not we are a compassionate society so we are not hanging the guy we are not killing him but what are you doing you are actually punishing all the citizens of new zealand for the crime of one person how is that because now this man is going to live in a new zealand prison which is probably better than your house in conditions which are probably better than your house for the rest of his life at your cost who is paying for it citizens of new zealand who else is paying for it taxpayer so this man will have nutritious food this man will have a conducive environment to live in 
he will have air conditioning if it is necessary he will have heating if it is necessary if he falls sick he will have free medical aid to whatever extent is required if the man needs a bypass surgery it will be done for him if he wants to study he will be given books if he wants to go to the library he will be given all of that the only thing that he will not have is the liberty to walk the streets maybe he doesn't even want that even if he wants it so big deal you don't you don't have it but you now have a paid holiday for the rest of your life and you are paying for it because you are the citizen of new zealand now but tell me what crime did the people of new zealand commit why must they pay for the upkeep of a mass murderer this is justice i don't think so what does islam say islam says death penalty simple nobody has to pay anything here is the man who committed the crime you say no no compassionate how about that man how come he was not compassionate why did he go and kill somebody some innocent person so now when it comes to him pay, him paying for his murder you want to be compassionate how come you are not compassionate for the one who died islam says compassion is first for the victim of the crime not for the criminal then islam is also compassionate to the criminal because the criminal has the option of being forgiven the criminal has the option of paying blood money so it's not as if islam is not compassionate islam is not saying now this man will be boiled in oil islam is not saying now we will put some honey on him and we will bury him in the sand up to his neck and we will put a trail of honey to the nearest ant hill so now the ants will come and the ants will eat up his eyes first and so on and so on islam is not saying all of this islam is saying that this man if he has to face the death penalty then he will be killed in the in the fastest possible manner he will not it's not as if he will be tortured to death no there's no torture in islam and there is a possibility that he may get off scot free completely because people decided to forgive him or he might have to pay some blood money which is fair enough after all you committed a crime you should be prepared to pay for and for it islam does not say that the whole state must pay for the upkeep of a criminal who has been convicted of a crime so where is the justice what is really draconian Now, this is the this is the, the this is the issue because we don't talk about these things we don't present them to people in the way that it should be presented final issue as far as the application of this law is concerned in any state there are two kinds of laws there are civil laws and there are criminal laws in a civil law the two parties in a case are two individuals if there is a civil dispute it is between this person and this person there is a law which applies but the dispute is between the between two people in a criminal case the dispute is between the individual and the state it's not between two people it's not between the murderer and the family of the murdered person no it is between the murderer and the state the dispute is not between the thief and the person he stole it from no the dispute is between the thief and the state the state has to prove the crime of the theft and then the action will be initiated so two separate laws in islamic in an islamic state in a country that is ruled according to the sharia criminal law remains the same for everybody meaning that if a muslim kills a hindu the muslim will face the death penalty if he is responsible it because he killed a hindu it does not mean that the muslim will be let off or forget about letting off or that the muslim will have any consideration at all because of his islam and because the state is muslim zero consideration if he killed a hindu he will die unless the hindu's family decides to take blood money or unless they decide to forgive him in which case he will be forgiven but if they say no we want justice and justice is the death of this person the muslim will be hanged as simple as that this is the law, this is the law according to islam and this is the judgment that the sharia court will pronounce if a muslim steals he will lose his hand so will anybody else 
obviously i don't have to keep on repeating again and again saying due process of law has to be followed evidence has to be produced sentence sent court the crime has to be has to be uh, established and then the sentence has to be done all this obviously is understood so criminal law is the same civil law in an islamic state will be according to the civil laws of the religion that is followed by the other person for example islamic inheritance laws and again there is huge amount of of mis of, of misunderstanding about islamic inheritance laws i don't want to go into all of that now because we will be sitting here till tonight so leave that aside but the point being that islamic inheritance laws for example in a muslim state which is ruled according to sharia will not apply to hindus and christians and sikhs and whoever and whoever so if a christian person dies how will his family inherit according to christian law if a jewish person dies how will that person's family inherit according to jewish law if a hindu dies how will his family inherit according to the hindu law in which country in a muslim country ruled according to the sharia of islam this is the sharia of islam the sharia of islam is not that the islamic law will be imposed on to somebody else no the hindu living in a muslim country ruled according to the sharia will live according to hindu law he will not live according to muslim law in criminal matters the islamic law will apply because the state is the respondent but in civil law the law of that personal laws of that religion apply so what is the fear what is the fear to the extent the problem is people don't read to the extent the tax that you pay to the state right whether it is uh, uh, whether it is uh, zakat or uh, you know oshor or whatever the the heading of the tax usually this tax is collected in kind so for example if i am a sheep farmer then my zakat is paid in the number of sheep but in a muslim state pig farmers pig farmers you know what the law for them is the state will not take tax from you in ca- in kind because the state won't take pigs from you what will the state do with the pigs what you have to do is the amount that it represents you pay in cash so if as a pig farmer if this pig farmer was supposed to give 10 pigs he will give the value of 10 pigs as in cash to the state as tax he will not give 10 pigs now you might say what on earth is a pig farmer doing in a muslim country run according to the sharia in the first place according to what is happening in this country all pigs should be slaughtered and all pig eaters should be slaughtered with them right that's the law in application here today islam says islam in the in islam it says no he says if there are citizens in this country who are eating pork and they are obviously they are not muslim then they have a right to eat pork and they have a right to produce their pork a pork doesn't come down with the rain so they have a right to have a pig farm so they can have a pig farm they can process pig uh, they can process pork and they can eat this pork and obviously they are living in the country so they have to pay some tax so they will pay tax and the tax obviously the state will not take in terms of kind because what does the islamic state have to do with pigs therefore you pay this tax in cash now all these people if you don't know your own religion it's not it's your fault it's not somebody else's fault now talk about you are talking about tolerance eh? what more tolerance do you want what more tolerance do you want the islamic state not the bunch of uh, criminals in uh, in iraq who call themselves the islamic state that is the shaitanic state i am talking about a true muslim country run according to the sharia gives complete freedom in all civil matters to every citizen to live his or her life according to the principles of his or her religion where it comes to matters of crime or where it comes to matters which are of public 
uh, what do you say, possibility of in the public domain, then the Islamic law will apply and the state will apply some restrictions. For example, you might say, well, you know, in my religion, dancing naked is permissible. So therefore, I must be allowed to dance naked. Sorry. You have to find some other place to do that. In this country, you will not be allowed to do that. Because this is considered to be corruption of society as far as Muslim law is concerned. So you will not be allowed to dance naked. But I am not a Muslim. Am I forced to wear the hijab in public? No, you are not. No, you are not. Hijab is for Muslim women. If you want to wear hijab, nobody will stop you. But if you don't want to wear hijab, nobody will force you either. I am not a Muslim. This is Ramadan. Am I allowed to eat? Of course you are allowed to eat. Am I allowed to take a chicken leg and wave it under the nose of another Muslim and say, ha ha ha, see what I am eating? No, sorry, that's kind of pushing it. But am I allowed to eat my food? I mean, seriously. No problem. Please eat. What is normal consideration for others? For example, you might say, well, you know, I am a Hindu, I am a Christian, I am a Sikh and so on and so forth. I am living in a Muslim country. Everybody around me is fasting. So if I want to cook something, I am not going to cook it in a big pot on the street and all the aroma is floating around. It's just pure impolite to do that. I am not going to do that. Alhamdulillah, all power to you, no problem. But if you see, I have a restaurant, I, I have my restaurant, I am, you know, uh, running a restaurant, can I keep it open during the day or during the hours of fasting? As far as the Islamic Sharia is concerned, absolutely no problem. Yes, you can keep it open during the hours of fasting. If a Muslim goes and eats, that's between him and his Rabb Jalla Jalla. He should not eat. But then you are saying that in this country of mine, which is a Muslim country run according to the Sharia, there are lots of non-Muslims also here. If a non-Muslim wants to go and have lunch, what must he do? He must have? No. He can go and eat. Now you might say, well, you know, in some country, XYZ country, uh, if I keep my restaurant open during the, day, during the hours of fasting, I will be sent to jail. I am saying, I am not here to pass uh, judgment on any country. I am telling you what the law is. What other, uh, others are doing or not doing is up to them and they have to answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for it. For example, in this Muslim country, ruled according to the Sharia, will you have commercial banks dealing on interest? Yes or no? What is the answer? Yes or no? No. Why are you so weak? Because you are fasting? No. You cannot have a commercial bank dealing in interest. Now you might say, well, every Muslim country today has commercial banks dealing on interest. I say that is between them and their rulers and their Rabb Jalla Jalaluhu who declared war on those who have those dealings. My job is to tell you what the law is. And the law is that no standard commercial interest-based banking in a Muslim country run according to the Sharia. Will the country have banks? Of course it will have banks. Nobody says put your money in a pot under the bed. No. It will have banks. It will have banks run according to the Sharia of Islam. Alhamdulillah, we have a religion which has a complete, a codified, complete law which covers every aspect of a human being's life. We are not deficient in the law. We have the law. We are deficient in applying the law. So this is the issue of justice in Islam. And where does it begin? With yourself. All you who believe, stand out as witnesses to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if it be against yourself. It begins with yourself. Islam says, be just. Inna Allah ya'amuru bil adli wal ihsan. You hear this ayat in every Juma khutbah. Allah has ordered you to be just. And Allah has ordered you to be with ihsan, to do even more than that. Deal justly and do more than that. Be more than just. Give people more than what is due to them. Where is the question of not giving people what is due to them? What is due to them you are giving, that is justice. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said and his, and his, and his Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa they said give even more. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said when you are weighing, give more. 
This is Islam. This is Islam. These are the Islamic punishments as far as criminal law is concerned. As far as civil law is concerned, there is complete and total freedom. Tell me anyone with any sense of justice, if you present to them this scenario of living in a state, you are, you are allergic to the word Islam, leave that word out of it if you want. You are living in a state where there is a, there is a law which is applied without any preference across the board to everyone who is affected by this law. Whether you are rich or poor, whether you are influential or not influential, whether you are black or white, whether you are this religion or that religion, makes no difference. The same law is applied to everybody. That's one thing in the state. The second thing in the state is that in that application of the law, there is a scope for compassion and forgiveness. Third thing is that in this state, personal laws, civil laws apply according to your own religion that you follow. There is justice for everybody, equal justice for everybody, there is no preference for anyone. And there is the application of law in this way. Tell me, does it sound like a good state to live in or not? That is what a state which is ruled according to Islam is. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help, help us and enable us to understand our religion correctly and to explain it correctly to anybody who asks. Alhamdulillah, two, three very good questions. First question is that if pork is allowed in a Islamic country uh, as food for those who eat it, and this is permissible, then why not, what about alcohol? Because people also drink alcohol. So why is alcohol, is alcohol allowed or not allowed? And also the second question was that as far as banking is concerned, uh, why is interest-based banking banned for everybody? Uh, why is it that we don't have to, uh, people who want to do interest-based banking or who, for whom it is not permissible, let them do interest-based banking, no problem. Now, answer to this is very simple. First of all, alcohol is not allowed because alcohol is a drug. Just because people don't want to recognize it as a drug, it doesn't change anything. Alcohol is a drug. It is addictive. In Islam, anything which is of, which is a matter of general corruption of all societies is not permitted. So, therefore, alcohol is a drug. So, also is marijuana. So, also is heroin. So also is LSD, so also are all those drugs, these are haram, these are banned, they are not permitted to anybody. Right? So that is uh, the question as far as alcohol is concerned. As far as uh, interest-based banking is concerned, interest-based banking is the sole and the most important reason for global, for global poverty. Interest-based banking reduces wealth, it destroys wealth. And therefore, interest-based banking is not permitted for anyone because it is generally harmful to society. It is, this is also one of those things which is, uh, you know, un misunderstood where people think it is good because that's how bankers run the world. So also gambling will not be permitted because gambling also destroys society. So Malak Petri's course, goodbye. Places of worship. What about places of worship? What about temples? What about Gurdwaras? What about churches? What about synagogues in a Muslim country which is ruled according to Sharia? According to Sharia, all of these will be protected. Their priests will be protected. They will be allowed to build them. They will be allowed to repair them. They will be allowed to carry out, carry out their rituals of worship. They will be allowed to carry out their uh, their, their festivals and so on without any problem whatsoever from the state including the state may even give them grants the state may even support them financially to run these places all of this is in keeping with the Sharia obviously Sharia will not permit uh, a non-Muslim uh, religious ritual to be performed inside a masjid naturally I mean you have your own house of worship to do your religious ritual why do you need to go do it in a masjid so, 
Nobody will even ask for that. I'm saying, but if somebody says, you know, can I do something here? No, you can't do it here, but you can do it in your own place. But no problem. We have 700 years of history to prove what I am saying. In the whole history of uh, Islam, when rulers, when Muslim rulers ruled according to the Sharia, the rulers that we know, take Umar ibn Abdul Aziz Rahmatullah how many churches did he destroy? Take Umar ibn al-Khattab the conquest of Jerusalem, the opening of Jerusalem, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab is given the keys to Jerusalem. Jerusalem had a synagogue, it had a church, it had many synagogues, many churches. And when Sayyidina Umar came there, it had no masajid. Masjid Aqsa was there, but you know, that also was, the old one was there, the, the new one had not been constructed. Did Sayyidina Umar start with, did he start by saying, okay, now demolish all these churches. The church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is in uh, Jerusalem, which is the holiest uh, church in uh, Christendom, was protected and survived under Muslim rule. Even today, the keys of that church are held by a Muslim family. So, no problem. Now, does it mean that Islam accepts worship of anyone other than Allah? No. Islam does not accept the worship of anyone other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Islam does not take that theology and shove it down your throat whether you like it or not. No. Islam does not do that. Pork is not generally harmful in the sense like alcohol. Pork is not addictive. Pork does not uh, create problems for everybody else. If a person is eating pork, his whole family is not destroyed. But a person is drinking alcohol, his whole family is destroyed. A person is in gambling, his whole family is destroyed. So that is the that is the difference between. Uh, I mean, I'm not promoting pork. I'm just saying that this is this is the law of uh, of Islam. If somebody does not want to eat pork, all power to you. Very nice. Don't do it. Don't eat it. Jizya is a tax like income tax. It's a name. That's all. No, first of all, no. How can, how can it be? Because Muslims are paying zakat. The non-Muslims are paying jizya. First and foremost, jizya is not something that must necessarily be applied. A Muslim state can, can, can be a Muslim state without applying jizya. Jizya is not part of Akhida or anything like this. It's not protection money or anything like that. No, no, no. Why, why, why should it be protection money? Are you a gangster? No. Protection money you pay to the mafia. You don't pay, you pay, you don't pay protection money. Protection money today we pay to the state. I mean, that's a different issue. No. Jizya is the name of a tax. A Muslim, a Muslim state may apply jizya, may not apply jizya, makes no difference. <clears throat> Just because you have a Muslim government does not mean necessarily jizya has to be applied. No, it doesn't have to be applied. But if it is applied, what is it? It is a tax. It is a name of a tax which is applied on non-Muslims. What is that tax? That tax is something which is equal to the tax that the Muslims are paying. For the same reason, the state is giving you some things. So why will you get it for free? The state is providing for you public services. The state is providing for you electricity and water supply and what not, God knows. He's providing for you the whole establishment of the state. It's giving you a passport. It's giving you an identity. You pay for it. <coughs> why, why would anyone get it for free? You don't get it for free. So if you are a non-Muslim, it's called Jizya. If you are, if you are a Muslim, it's called Zakat. It's called Oshur and so on and so forth. Oshur is also a non-Muslim. They are doing uh, agriculture and stuff. Or you might say, in my country, I am running it as a Muslim country and I am not interested in charging this jizya to anybody. No problem. Don't charge. No, of course it's not mandatory. It's a tax. You say we have, you say we have enough, uh, the, the, the state has enough resources. The state doesn't want to tax anybody. Tax-free life. No problem. This is how the, this is how the majority of uh, expats living in the Middle East were living till today. Tax-free income. Was uh, Saudi Arabia or Kuwait or uh, Qatar or somebody, were they taking tax from the non-Muslims? No. Non-Muslims were living tax-free. 
I mean, you can't bring them, you can't bring one of them back to uh, India in chains if you want to. They will not leave that place. You know, if they give them citizenship, those people will never, never, never leave the place. Even otherwise, they don't want to leave the place. They love it so much. So, this is the issue of as far as Islam is concerned and the Islamic law is concerned. Because people don't understand and obviously people are, uh, you know, they get uh, misled. So, please explain things properly to people. Whether such a Muslim country will ever come into being or not, Allah knows. But I am saying that if anyone, if there was justice in the world, imagine there is a, this is a country where if there is a poor person, the state is held responsible for that poor person. Gharibi Hatao in this country is not uh, an election uh, slogan. If the, if the poor person, if there, is a, if there is poverty in the country, the law holds the state responsible for it and the state is fined for it. The state is punished for it for, because they have poor people in the country. What more do you want? If we don't understand our own law, it's our own fault. 